Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel 22. We're working our way through the book of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, David is on the run. David is a type. He is a type of the coming Christ. Uh, the Christ will come from the line of David. And just as David was the anointed one, yet he had not taken the throne, Saul now had an evil spirit, and Saul was hunting down David. David is the anointed one. So he, he is a type of Christ. So you say, what do you mean by a type? He, he's a picture of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. So that's what a type means. But he represents something else. Do you remember that God said, Saul had failed, and God said, I'm going to put someone in there that is a man after, remember? My own heart. And really, this study in 1 Samuel is really about that. It's, it's about looking at a person who represents a person after God's own heart. Male, female, we're all included. You can look at David and say, this is a man that represents a person who has a heart like God's. Now, we saw in chapter 21 that David is imperfect. We know what's coming. We know he's going to fail many times. He's going to make many mistakes in his life. So being a man or a woman after God's own heart does not mean that you have to be perfect. Because if you had to be perfect, none of us would even have a shot. And David would not have a shot either. So get that out of your head. There are no perfect people. Now, the coming Messiah would be perfect, and David does typify him in some ways, but the second application I want you to be thinking about tonight is watch David in his life and see what you can apply in terms of him being a man after God's own heart. There's going to be a lot of application in terms of that specific uh, truth. So let's pray one more time. Father, uh, we come to your word with reverence and awe knowing that it's breathed out by God and it's profitable for every area of our lives. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey what you would say to us tonight. We know you are good. We know you love us despite our faults and our shortcomings. Thank you that you've accepted us in the beloved. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west so far, have you removed our transgressions from us. Thank you that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ the anointed one, our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah. But you do want us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here tonight, to become more like you, to get closer to you, to know you better. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to know who you are, Jesus Christ. Oh, just let us go deeper tonight, Lord. Meet every need that's in this room. Only you know every heart. You know where people are hurting. You know where they're just uh, maybe even confused tonight. I pray you bring clarity and healing and strength and provision wherever it's needed. Just sprinkle, shower us with your grace indeed, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So David, this is First uh, Samuel 22, verse 1 departed. If you remember the last chapter, he departed from Gath. By the way, we weren't here last week because we had VBS, and I even heard that there were over 130 kids, kindergarten through sixth grade. Isn't that awesome? Who went through vacation Bible school. Several of them opened their hearts to the Lord, and it was a great week, and thank you for those of you who helped out with that. David departed, that is from Gath, and from there, 
First uh, Samuel twenty two one escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. So the family hears that David is on the run. They know that uh, Saul has be- become a little nutty, and uh, David has now departed and from Gath, and now he is hidden uh, in this place called the cave of Adullam. Adullam actually means a closed-in place. David is on the run. He's gone 10 miles east to the cave of Adullam, and uh, he's in the territory of Judah. He's in a closed-in place. Um, Probably all been there before, right? We're going through some trials, and we're uh, maybe on the run a little bit, and we feel like the walls are closing in on us. That's kind of the place where David finds himself very picturesque of his life right now. It feels like the walls are closing in. Family hears about it, and they go to him. And uh, remember, David was the youngest of uh, seven or eight, depending on how you uh, go through that. But he's the youngest kid in the family. He's got a mom and a dad. He's the son of Jesse. And they reside in Bethlehem, and so they come to him. And Saul's hatred is spilling over into all these different places. And uh, the family now is concerned about David. And it could be a dual motivation. They may be concerned about their own lives because they do know that now that David is Saul's uh, sworn enemy, they're probably on the hit list as well because the king would want to get rid of anybody related to David's family, any threat to his throne. And we know that Saul has lost it. An evil spirit has come to him from the Lord. He is not rational anymore. He's seeing conspiracy theories everywhere against himself. And so the family may be concerned about David and concerned about their own necks. They go to him. And they go to him, apparently, to this cave. And look at verse 2 of uh, 1 Samuel 22. It says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented. If you have a New American Standard, three Ds. Everyone who was distressed, in debt, and discontented gathered to him. Apparently, there was room in the cave. You know, when you're in a closed-in place, it's pretty uh, easy to feel isolated, and it's pretty easy to feel like nobody knows the problems that you go through. You know, when you're struggling with emotional uh, struggles or physical ailments or you know, maybe just trying to make sense of things in your life. You can feel in, you know, like you're in this closed-in place and there's nobody who can relate. But all these people, all these people in verse 2 who were in distress, it means to be in a hard-pressed situation, who were in debt, it means in this context, in danger of being sold into slavery by your creditors. You can note Second Kings 4.1. And everyone who was discontented gathered to David. David here becomes a type of the Messiah. And we know that when Jesus was on the planet, everyone who was in these categories gathered to him. Uh, they, they, were, they were drawn to him. And he was a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. He would look over people in one particular locale and he saw them as distressed and downcast like, remember, sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out more laborers into his harvest field. Do you ever just pause and look at people and see how distressed and downcast so many, they're 
wandering sheep without a shepherd. And all these people, all these people who I take it were uh, struggling with Saul's leadership and seeing where the nation was going and wondering what to do and where to go. I mean, Saul had everybody under his thumb. All he cared about was himself. It lost his mind. But people knew that there was an anointed one. They knew that there was a, a king. They were hearing stories about him. And some of them had met him firsthand and seen his courage against Goliath when everybody else was running for cover. But as Pastor Chris said a couple of Wednesdays ago, we know that David was imperfect and he was fearful in certain situations. But all these people, they recognized David's leadership and they, they gathered to him. And he became, end of 20, uh, 22-2, he became captain over them. Now, there were about 400 men, and soon it will grow to 600 who were with him. Now, I don't know how big this cave is, but <laughs> I guess there was room in the cave. And I'll just say this to you tonight. There's room in the cave for you. You're not alone. Jesus was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. He knows what we go through. Sometimes it feels like he doesn't. Sometimes he can feel, or maybe it's just the way we feel, we can feel a distance, you know, can he really understand? But remember, he became human and continues to be human. And he said to some folks later in Matthew, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a great word, (laughs) rest. Becomes more valuable as the years go by. Rest, (laughs) please, rest. This is what he's come to do. The cave is crowded. (laughs) And, you know, I want to tell you something tonight. David was not doing great at this point in his life. He was distressed himself. I mean, he was the target. All these other people were discontented and in debt and distressed, but David was the one with the price on his head. And right before Jesus gives those famous words in John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. If you go back and check, at the end of John 13, especially verse 21 comes to mind, we're told that Jesus was distressed. When he shared those words, he was in the last 24 hours of his own earthly life. He would be resurrected, we know, but... Things were winding down. He was on the eve of the cross. How many people would you be encouraging if you were facing a cross the next day? Wow. There's an insight here that I think is important. Sometimes I think I have to be in this great place to encourage other people. Right? I've got to be, you know, not distress myself to pick up the phone and call somebody else who I know might be in distress. But that's just false. I can comfort others with the comfort with which I've been comforted by God because I serve the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, right? Sometimes the best thing that you can do when you're downcast and distressed is reach out to somebody else who's downcast and distressed. It's not always comfortable to make that first move, but that's the position David was in. I mean, he could have sat there in the cave and said, get out, this is my cave. Ever been there before? (laughs) No, I don't want to answer the phone. I think he might have had caller ID back in the day. I don't know. But can you imagine? I mean, when you're going through something, David's got, the king is trying to kill him. Just try to put yourself there for a second. 
The price is on his head. And the cave door is open. Come. And this is a motley crew. <laughs> these are people in debt. These are people distressed. These are pe- it's not like these are people that came to lift up David. I mean, it would be one thing if you could open the door when you had a price on your head and everybody came to encourage you. These are people who need encouragement. And that is what makes David a type of the Messiah. And that is what makes David a man after God's own heart. Do you see it? You don't have to be in this perfect spot to minister to other people. From the cave, David penned two psalms. I'd like you to go to Psalm 57. So go to your right in your Bible, Psalm 57. Look with me at this particular psalm. I want you to see the heading. You might wonder about the headings of psalms. Where'd that come from? Well, this would be something that was part of the original document. So it explains the context of the psalm. So look at the heading of Psalm 57. It says, For the choir director set to Al-Tashef. Uh, Al-Tashef means it's set to something called Do Not Destroy, Psalm 57. It's a victim of David. We'll come back to that. What's your Bible say? When he fled from Saul in the cave. <laughs> there you go. You can know when Psalm 57 was written because it tells you when it was written. David wrote a psalm in the cave. I think, personally, uh, there's something cool about this that we need to see. Fix this microphone. There's a great place for worship in the cave. I just want to park here for a second. If you are in this category of discontented, distressed, downcast, put on more worship music. Can I give you a secret tonight? You may not want to do it, but when you worship in times of distress, God just does something in your heart. This is the psalm written from the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in thee. And in the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah, pause, think about it. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Hopefully you're not looking at your spouse right now. Um, Even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. That means pause. Think about it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. Remember, uh, David was a musician and a singer. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to thee among the nations, for thy loving kindness is great to the heavens. Thy truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Sometimes when you go through something, turn to um, Psalm 142. There's deep spiritual truth birthed in times in the cave. Have you noticed Sometimes when you're in that tight place, God reveals something to you that you may not have seen before. 
Or you go deeper than you've been before. You know why? Because it causes you to seek out light because you're in a tough spot. If you look at Psalm 142, it's a mascal of David. When Look at the heading, when he was in the cave. It's a prayer. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord, 142.2. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou didst know my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. I wonder if this applies to the people who came to the cave. There's no no, uh, escape for me, he feels bound in. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from persecution or from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. The man that was so strong against Goliath, right? Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to thy name. The righteous will surround me, for thou wilt deal bountifully with me. Man, these are songs from the cave. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, just when you imagine uh, whatever you might have thought about David's life, what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, this is what he went through. Go back to uh, 1 Samuel, if you would. Chapter 22. In the treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon uh, has a Bible commentary on the Psalms, and he observed that a mictum, uh, he referred to it as golden psalms, begin with prayer, imply trouble, but abound in holy confidence, and close with songs of assurance to ultimate safety and joy. Uh, I picked this up on, from somebody who commented on it. It says, a colleague of Spurgeon's believed mictum to mean hide and signifies a secret or mystery, which indicates the depth of doctrinal and spiritual importance in these sacred psalms. In Spurgeon's words, he wrote, if this be the true interpretation of mictum, it well accords with the other of being precious when the two are put together. They make up the name which every reader will remember and which will bring the precious subject at once to mind. The psalm of precious secret. Another gentleman comments. He says, when life attacks us, we often deflect the blows by saying that the ways of the Lord are hidden from us in this life. We know he's good, but there are times when we can't reconcile his goodness with our circumstances. So we defer the explanation by saying, God is doing something through me that is, that is for the good of others. It might not be what I want, but it will bless someone else. A mictum, says this writer, helps us realize that even God, even if God does use us as a vehicle for other purposes, he still is our individual protector and deliverer. He still, he is still my God. When the horizon is dark and the storm is coming, God still saves me. God still cares about me. But he's often doing bigger things that may not even be about me. And that is hard for me to reconcile. Because even when I think I'm not thinking about me, I'm thinking about me. Anybody relate to that one? How, how are you going to turn this together for my good? I know that verse. Well, sometimes God is doing something on many levels that we may not see. I wish sometimes I could see it better. But that's the whole point of getting into Bible study is tonight he wants you to see things a little bit more clearly, maybe a little bit more from heaven's perspective. So David, 22.3 in 1 Samuel, 
went from there to Mizpah of Moab. So he left the cave with all these individuals who had gathered to him. And he said to the king of Moab, so he goes into Moabite territory, and Moab was no friend of Israel, but he said to the king of Moab, please, remember his family's come to him, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you. Notice these words, until I know what God will do for me. You might want to write down Romans 8, 31 through 39. If God is for us, who can be against us? I won't read that tonight, but I think you all know the essence of that. Nothing can ever separate us from his love, height, depth, angels, principalities, etc. And David, even though he's left the cave, price on his head, ran off to Moab to try to somehow protect his family, he still knows that God is providentially, sovereignly working in his life. Even though things are really low, he's saying, I know God's going to work this out. And until I know, and you may be in God's waiting room right now, And you might have to say something like this, until I know what God's going to do for me in this situation, this is what I'm going to do. And and the beauty of what he's going to do is he protects his family. He is so the contrast of Saul. Saul recently tried to kill Jonathan because he thought Jonathan was a conspirator against him. But David is so the, such the opposite. He says, look, my family's here. And it would have been easy to say, stay with me. He had all these brothers help protect me. But no, he says, look, I want you to take care of my family. And in the ancient world, you could go to people, especially leaders, and ask for sanctuary. And this is what he does. He goes to the Moabite king, and he asks for sanctuary for his family. And Jesus from the cross says to John, take care of my mother. In John 18, when the, uh, the whole group is coming for Jesus and they've fallen down after he says, I am, right? They get back up, straighten out their helmets, and he says, if it's me you seek, let these go their way. That the scripture may be fulfilled that of those that the Father had given him, he lost not one of them. If it's me you want, let these go their way. That's our God. And David typifies that here as he uh, goes to the king of Moab to protect his family. You say, why does he go to the Moabite king? Well, location, of course, but remember he had a uh, Moabite relative. Her name was Ruth, his great-grandma. And so there's some connection there. Maybe there's something to that. Uh, They were not supposed to make, according to the Torah, any agreements with the Moabites in terms of covenant, but here David uh, does something to protect his mom and dad, and we can certainly understand that. He left them with the king of Moab, verse 4. They stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. We don't know if he returned to the cave of Adullam or if he went somewhere else in Moabite territory. There's been conjecture that he's at Masada, that he's uh, somewhere still in Moabite territory. We don't know for sure. Probably not in Masada because he's going to return to Judah in a second. But he protects his family. What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? You put other people before yourself even when you're in distress. It's not easy to do, is it? It's something that you've got to call upon the Lord to give you strength and perspective. So David's in the stronghold. Uh, I'm assuming that the 400 men have gone with him. And the prophet, verse 5, Gad, said to David, maybe through a messenger, he could have been there personally, do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed. He obeyed the word of the Lord through the prophet Gad, and Gad will be prominent in his life for uh, years to come. So David departed and went into the forest of Hareth. 
So here, a word comes from God. And remember, David says, I, I don't know what God's going to do for me, but until, he, until I know, take care of my parents. Give them sanctuary. And then a word comes. Have, have you ever experienced that? You're waiting upon the Lord. You don't know which way things are going to go, but then God gives you a piece of the puzzle. And a word comes and God says, move. I don't want you staying there. I want you to go. And David obeys the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel 22.2 says, And everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. You know, there's room in the cave for you. As David was on the run from Saul, and Saul had really become a madman at this point, David penned some psalms. And David found his strength and refuge in the Lord. As David had to deal with life's inevitable problems and oftentimes as we're rising to different positions and leadership, there can be enemies bent on our destruction. David found his refuge in the Lord. And as he did so, he became a leader of those who felt the same way that he did those who were discontented, those who were in similar life situations, feeling the heaviness and the weight and the sorrow of life, they gathered together, they gathered in the cave. And there's room in the cave for you and for me. You know, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God was for David. And because he was for David, who could be against him? But it didn't mean that David didn't have to go through his difficult circumstances and problems. But in the end, he learned the faithfulness of God even in his times of distress. I suppose that we learn a lot about God's blessings when things are good and we can count all of our blessings right in front of us. But when things are hard, I think that's when we might hunker down and draw closer to God than maybe any other time in our lives. And so here David becomes a picture of the Christian who goes through their battles, they go through their ups and downs, but they battle from the side of victory because if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so this is the great picture of the life of David. And at the end of the chapter, I think there's a beautiful beautiful couple of verses here that I'd like to share with you. And it says these words, David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks yours, for you are safe with me. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.